Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Tar Heels up 10-0 now. Noah Ruggles with a 26-yard field goal. 10-17 remaining in the second quarter. It's the Military Bowl in Annapolis. My favorite place to go for a bowl game. I've been probably 20, 30 bowl games. That's, that's my favorite. Annapolis is strong, dude. Strong. Darren Vaught behind the glass. Intern Will. And it, it occurred to me last night as I was pondering what may happen today during day two of my three-day stint filling in for David Glenn, who's off spreading holiday cheer, even as Christmas continues to go farther behind us, that DG's core of interns is not unlike Top Gun. Because when it, I, okay. I, I think of intern Deuce, you know, we got to give Will a nickname. I don't know, like, you know, Jaguar or something. I don't know. What, what do we call intern Will? He's just Will. Eh, he needs a nickname. But these guys are all like Top Gun. They've got perfect hair, great smiles. They just need, like, the bomber jackets and the aviators. By the way, Top Gun 2 coming out this summer. I, I, I got excited. I got no, excited. Not excited about I, that. See, but you didn't grow up when that was a thing. No, but I appreciate Top Gun regardlessly. And and that's that's why I'm not excited about it. Do you appreciate its sequel, Days of Thunder, Top Gun on Asphalt? Uh, yeah. Same movie. I would rank Days of Thunder higher. Days of Thunder is my least favorite racing movie. It's just, it's awful, dude. It's so bad. Get out of here. It's awful. It starts with Stroker Ace, Burt, then Six Pack, and then there are a few others that are, uh, Ricky Bobby, man, Talladega Nights. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it with Dr. Hotness, Nicole Kidman, getting with Cole Trickle, a.k.a. Jeff Gordon, the early years. Yeah. yeah. Robert Duvall talking to the car. Talking to the car. He's Tom Hagen talking to a car. You didn't talk to your car when you drove it in earlier today? Yeah, please don't run out of gas. Please don't run out of gas. I was more talking to the good Lord. Please get me there. I'm about, I was really about to run out. I've, I've been known to do that a time or two. I'm good to run out of gas probably three times a year. I'm just being straight with you, I'm man. sorry, what? Yeah, I'll run out of gas three times a year. Sometimes it'll be at the gas station. Sometimes it'll be in my driveway. Okay. Sometimes it'll be in the middle of nowhere. That's happened. See, now, I'm used to more modern vehicles, <laughs> so they give you a, a pretty accurate yeah. distance to empty. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I utilize that. But yeah, I, but you, I rarely run out of gas. You also probably pay your taxes on time. You, I mean, I'm just being honest. That's, I, adulting is hard for me sometimes. I, I, I get distracted. I, I change my mind midstream. Do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, look, Godfather 2's on. Let's watch that. And then I'll call and pay my power bill. And then, if, <laughs> then you go to bed, and then you wake up in the dark. I'm not saying it's happened, but I'm not saying it hasn't happened. Just being straight. 1-800-849-2761, a free-for-all Friday. Looking at the Tar Heels game, Temple moving. They're uh, past midfield now, just completed a long pass, and actually they're down in the red zone now. They got, he's still running. They're, they've got the ball to 15. So there's 940 left to go in the first half. Tar Heels clinging to a 10-0 lead, but Temple 15 yards away. Brant Wilkerson knew of Sports Illustrated's Tar Heel Maven will join us at halftime to tell us how all this came to be. And then we're going to have uh, Pinstripe Bowl, New York City, Wake Forest, Michigan State. 
eight and four Wake Forest. Third time since the 1970s, I believe, that Wake Forest has won eight games in the regular season. It's incredible how the narrative has changed around Wake Forest football. It's a football school now. Wake Forest is now a football school. They should put a statue up of Dave Clawson outside the stadium. It's a football school now. <laughs> Who'd have thought it? But he's done a tremendous job during his time in Winston-Salem. I'm curious to see how they do today against Michigan State. Michigan State, three-and-a-half-point favorite. So we'll monitor that as we move forward. I'd like to thank Andrea Adelson for joining us last hour, helping us try to wrap our minds around the smoking tire that is Miami football. It's it's toxic, dude. We were talking about auto racing movies. I see what you did there. Yeah, you liked that, didn't you? <laughs> I have other analogies, but I'm not safe for a family-friendly show. But Miami's not Miami. I, you know, we, we think of um, Sebastian, the Ibis, and, you know, here they come swooping in, and Michael Irvin and Vinny Testaverde and all these guys, Jerome Brown. Dude, that was a long time ago. Perception is not reality. Peel it back, man. It's like an onion. It stinks the further down you go, and Miami football stinks right now. It stinks. Got into a bowl game just because there are eight gazillion bowl games. And look, I have no problem with having a lot of bowl games. By the way, Temple just scored. It's 10 to 6, pending the point after attempt. Four yard rushing touchdown. I have no problem with lots of bowl games. I see benefits of it. I, first of all, I don't think you can have too much football. Fact. But I, I see the benefits of helping these other programs, helping every program get better. That's what it's all about. The coaches don't really care about the bowl game unless it's like a New Year's Day bowl or a playoff bowl. They, they really don't care. They want those practices. They want to continue to develop the program. They want to get the younger guys ready for the next season. And, and it makes a really nice warm-up before spring practice. Otherwise, they don't care. They just want the practices. That's why getting to that first bowl game at Wake Forest was such a big deal back in 2016 when they went to the Military Bowl. Dave Clawson wanted the practices. Yeah, they won. Yeah, they beat Temple. Big deal, man. It was great. But he was more concerned with the practices. The games were almost secondary. Now, do they go in wanting to win? Of course. Of course. Tell me a coach that doesn't want to win or doesn't care if they win or lose. It's not going. You're not going to find one, at least not one worth this salt. But it's all about the practices, getting ready for the next year, continuing to solidify a foundation for something that you hope will be long-lasting. What was not long-lasting was Dave Enos's time as the OC at Miami. So he vanishes from Tuscaloosa, reappears the next morning as the offensive coordinator quarterbacks coach at Miami, leaves Nick Saban hanging, I, I don't understand. Why, why did he think that was a better deal? I, I, I get it that working for Nick Saban can be taxing. Ask our friend Joey Freshwater, a.k.a. Lane Kiffin. But if you can hang in there, you're basically set for life. You're going to become a head coach. You're going to become a head coach. You're going to get your shot. What was it that finally did him in? He had just been promoted from quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator when he just left and took the same job at Miami. He had, just, he had just been an assistant coach on a team that played for the national title and was being promoted to offensive coordinator with Tua at the wheel, and he decided it was more prudent 
career-wise, personally, I, I don't know, to go to Coral Gables to a Miami team that had hired a new coach, Manny Diaz, to a Miami team that was supposed to have a quarterback transferring in from Ohio State. Okay, I get that. But you had Tua. You had a proven commodity. I, I can't wrap my mind around it. We've got to track him down, Darren. I, I just want to know, dude, what, uh, help me. Because he's 50 years old, about to be 51. That's at the prime age to really get a good coaching gig, head coach. It's time. All he had to do was hang in there for one year with Nick Saban, and he would have it made. On your resume, I mean, you were Nick Saban's offensive coordinator. There's value in that. Nick's, Jimbo, look at Jimbo. It made Jimbo Fisher by being Nick's OC at LSU. Jimbo went on to Florida State to be the head coach in waiting, ended up winning a national title. Then he cashed a big check at Texas A&M. What was this guy thinking? I, I, I question his, his stability. I'm wondering. Miami's just a mess. When the athletic director is sending out an apology, you know, things are bad, dude. Things are real bad. Temple missed the point after. Tar Heels up 10-6. to six. Get a touchback in the end zone. 7.59, I do believe, left in the third quarter, or second quarter, rather. So Brent Wilkerson New will be joining us at halftime to fill us in on that. And we're going to look ahead at some other Holiday Bowl action, the Holiday Bowl specifically, Southern Cal, Iowa tonight, 8 o'clock, and the Cheez-It Bowl, 10.15 on ESPN. Going to give you my picks and my predictions, my thoughts on those games, as well as tomorrow's bowl games when we return. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Christian Leitner, thanks for joining us. It's been less than a week since the I Hate Christian Leitner 30 for 30. The final product of the movie was absolutely awesome. I love every second of it. Maybe I'm not seeing the same thing everyone else is seeing, but I thought the movie was awesome and I loved it. Keep it here on The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It's 10 to 6 in Annapolis, 450 left in the first half. Tar Heels about to score again. Second and eight from the Temple 14-yard line. Keep you posted on that. And it is the most wonderful time of the year. Actually, check that. The Tar Heels just scored a touchdown. They, they reviewed it. It's now 16 to 6 pending the point after. Daz Newsom with the touchdown catch. So, Mac, going to uh, maybe win a bowl game? I know it's early. It's the first half. But that would be that would be a heck of a way to bookend your return. You win that opener. You win the bowl game. You finish 7-6. and six. Pretty good considering what this program's been through the last two years. I do miss Larry, though. I do miss Larry. Did you see his comments in the News and Observer? They had a one-on-one with him about his CTE thing, he said. Yeah, I probably, probably should have said that better. <laughs> God bless Larry, man. He's, a, he's a, a, an analyst with Texas, University of Texas, one of Tom Herman's guys. And, and think about this, Darren. We're going to keep you know chasing rabbits here on this wonderful college football Friday. Ed Orgeron, Coach O. Rah, 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 rah. He's about to have an opportunity to play for a national title, perhaps. If, he, if, they, beat, if they beat Oklahoma, as I presume they will, 13-point favorites right now, 13-and-a-half. He'll have a shot at winning a national title for his home state, his dream job. But 
if things had played out the way we were told they were going to play out, Tom Herman would have been the coach at LSU. But instead, he used that to get the Texas job. It was smoke and mirrors. I don't like that Tom Herman guy. He's kind of shady, but I digress. Darren, let's pick some games. All right. You said you've got some bowl picks. I got so some bowl let's, picks. Uh, let's do it this way. We're going to take Wake Forest plays at 320 on ESPN in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, are we omitting that one, or do you have something for that? No, I'll go with that one. Okay. I'll go with that one. All and right, so it's a 320 kick, ESPN if you want to watch it on TV, and Michigan State minus four are the odds. Okay, so they, they've shifted that line a little bit Just since this little. morning. Yeah, it's uh, they've it was three and a half earlier today. The Deeks struggled down the stretch, lost three of four. And, and it, that quarterback, Jamie Newman, if he's completely healthy, makes a big difference. They've got to have him completely healthy behind the wheel. I, I know... I know people are going to say I'm a bit of a homer because I've had some kind of close relationship covering that team in the past. I'm a Dave Clawson fan. I am not ashamed to say that. I I don't see them losing this game. Michigan State has been a mercurial, we've used that word twice today, program throughout the year and pretty much over the past few years under uh, Mark D'Antonio. I... I, I like Wake Forest in this game. I think I think Dave will have them prepared. I think they're not going to be starstruck by being out in the you know the Bronx, the Big Apple, and all that. I like Wake Forest in this game. That would move them to nine and four. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, that's a that's a top three, top four season in program history. Absolutely, if that's the case, right? Absolutely. Uh, so next, moving on to the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl. I'm going to use the sponsors because. Well, quite frankly, Academy Sports and Outdoors paid a lot of money to attach their name <laughs> to the Texas Bowl, so I think it's only fair. Uh, that's number 25, Oklahoma State, 8-4 and four against Texas A&M, 7-5 on the season, 645 on ESPN, A&M minus 4.5. I, I want to say Oklahoma State. I want to say Chubba Hubbard. Isn't that a great name? Chuba Chuba, he's a heck. Well, is he the best running back in he's the country? Up there. He's up there. Underappreciated. Very actually. underappreciated. And I want to say Mike Gundy just because of his Arkansas waterfall mullet. But Kellen Mond is a special player. Uh, I think Jimbo will come in ready for this. Texas A&M very underachieving team this year. Very underachieving team. And and Texas A&M had opportunities galore to do something really special when you looked at its schedule. Didn't really pull it off. And and think about it. Think about it. How many number one ranked teams did Texas A&M play this year? Or at least top five. That Clemson at Death Valley, same division as LSU. They got to play Bama. And I think they crossed over. Did they play Georgia? I'm, intern Will, can you check on that? Who did A&M play out of the SEC East? Tremendous opportunity. You run the table on that, and I know it's a murderer's row. Easier said than done. But you've set yourself up to go into the playoff. I think I think they'll finish on a high note, and they'll think about what they could have achieved, especially having that fantastic talent at quarterback. So I like A&M. Next we move to the 8 p.m. kick on Fox Sports 1, number 22, Southern Cal at 8-4, playing Iowa, number 16 in the country, 9-3. It is the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. <laughs> wow. San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Uh, Iowa minus two is the line. I 
and I'm going to go against conventional wisdom, and there are people on Twitter, even some media members, who are attacking Carol Fault. And we know the name Carol Fault, former head honcho at UNC. She is now the president at Southern Cal, and she chose to retain Clay Helton as the head coach. I, I think that was actually a good thing. He runs a clean program. They've trended upward, even though they're not at the Pete Carroll level of success that they've enjoyed previously at Southern Cal. But I, I like having Graham Harrell at offensive coordinator. They've had issues at quarterback. They're starting to get a little more solid at that position. The flip side of that is Iowa hasn't given up more than 24 points all year. But I think USC simply has better athletes. I think they come in a little better prepared and motivated because they're keeping their coach. Uh, Hawkeyes, two-and-a-half-point favorite, you say? An even two. Even two. Give me Southern Cal to win outright. I like it. Uh, revisiting Texas A&M, they were at Georgia on November 23rd, lost 19-13. That's what I thought. I, I knew it, I knew it was the, one of those programs. I thought it was Georgia. What a schedule. I mean, you've, your division is hard enough. You've got Georgia out of the east, and then you're playing Clemson non-conference on the road. It was laid out for them. Seven and five. <laughs> Don't blame them. That's, that's pretty good when you look at it. How do you feel about a team like that, though, scheduling in a way that has them finishing 7-5 and five if, like they did in most cases, if not all cases, you lose the games you should lose and win the games you should win, right? Like the strength mm -hmm. of schedule is up there, but if you don't really give yourself a chance for four of your games – or and maybe, you know, even if you win one of those four, you're still sort of in the same boat. Well, well, keep in mind, they really didn't have a say in it because LSU and Bama are division opponents and Georgia is a rotating opponent. I think they're the rotating opponent out of the East. I don't think that's their permanent partner out of the East division. And picking up Clemson, well, when, when was that contract signed? Yeah, These things are done so far in advance. Maybe it was Clemson when Dabo first took over. Shoot, could have been when Tommy Bowden was still there. But you're right. It, it's hard to really gauge because you're, you're, you're playing the way you should. Every, every, every team should have a schedule like that. Seven and five isn't too darn bad when you look at it. It was at South Carolina had the murderer's row schedule. People wanting to get Muschamp fired. I, I don't know if Newt Rockney could have had a very good year running that schedule. So, I don't know. It's a complicated question, Darren. Very, very, very thought provoking. I'll give you a better answer on Monday. Next up, yeah, your beloved Cheez It Bowl, which features Air Force ten and two. Against Washington State, six and six on the season, ten fifteen. The late kick on ESPN, just as the Cougs may be accustomed to. Air Force minus two and a half. Oh man, they've got to control the pace. Washington State with the air raid, they're going to try to get the ball up and down the field, but if they're playing a triple option team, which is what they'll do. They will control the pace of this game. Washington State has to be a little shell-shocked because they blew the 32-point lead to, was it was it Washington in the Apple Cup? And they gave up like 50 points in less than 20 minutes, something ridiculous. I don't see them recovering simply. And I'm a Mike Leach guy, but I think he's got so much wackiness going on. I don't know if he can maintain enough focus between the end of the regular season to now to right the ship. I, I'm going to go to Air Force to grind it out. Keep it on the ground. Proved 11-2. and two. That puts a bow on this evening's games. So we move to Saturday where we've got a couple before the college football playoff semifinal matchups, including the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, noon kick, ESPN, 
Number 17, Memphis, 12-1. Number 10, Penn State, 10-2. And, and Penn State is minus seven. Normally, I would take the group of five team here because the power five team's kind of bummed because they're playing a, a G5 team and they're not really wanting to be there and all that. But Penn State probably has the second most talented roster in the Big Ten. I mean, I, I've watched them play a couple times this year. I thought they were absolutely fantastic. And Memphis probably doesn't even have the best roster in the AAC when you think about it. I, I'm I'm going to go Penn State, and I think it could get pretty ugly. I'm talking maybe 20 points. Uh, again, Penn State minus seven, so it would need to be at least two scores for them to, to cover there. Um, next, the Camping World Bowl. And this, Scott, I don't this is an it's a matchup that just kind of like sticks itself out to me because the past five that I've mentioned are all pretty good teams. Um, e even if the record is right there with Iowa State's, the Cyclones, seven and five, they get matched up with number 15, Notre Dame, 10 and two on the season, noon kick on ABC. Notre Dame minus three and a half seems like it's not quite as generous as it could be, right? Iowa State is a team of missed opportunities. Sky-high expectations. And you got to remember, they, they hung around the top 25 for most of the year. Um, they beat Texas, which I know Texas isn't back, but they beat Texas. That's something you can hang your hat on. I'm looking at it now. They lost by a touchdown to Oklahoma State. They lost by one point at Oklahoma. They did what you're supposed to do against Kansas, even though Kansas is much improved this year. They lost by two points to Baylor. They lost by one point to Iowa. I mean, this is a team of missed opportunities. Lost by two points to Washington State. So that's four losses there by a total of, what, nine points maybe, eight points? That's that's something. I like Matt Campbell. I think he's positioned to go somewhere bigger if and when he's ready. I heard his name mentioned for the Florida State job. I don't know if that would have been a good fit, but something of that ilk I think will eventually come to fruition with him. I I'm I'm going to go Iowa State on this. I I'm not convinced that Notre Dame's going to get pumped up enough for it. I, and and beating a ten and two Notre Dame team, that'll do so much to not only change the perception of Iowa State this year, but going into next season. That's something. That's something they can hang their hat on. I'm gonna go to Cyclones. All right, so we move now to the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl. I like you your have, segues. You use, you use that one, right? What's that? Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, or is it just uh, Not on Sunday. Bowl? Not on Sunday. <laughs> All right, well, this is it's the Saturday kick, right? <laughs> four o'clock on Waffle ESPN. Waffle fries, baby. Oklahoma, number four, 12-1. and one. LSU, number one, undefeated, 13-0. and 0. Man, the spread on this one is LSU minus 13 and a half. It could get bad quick. It could. And it's a playoff team. And you know, Oklahoma's improved on defense. They look much better than they have at times in the past. And, and they can score. They always seem like they're ready to score. They can score at any point. But LSU, I think, is one team that could trade possession for possession, and they have enough defense to stop them. What, what Joe Burrow is doing is unprecedented, 76% completion rate. And I, I think what it might do is get Lincoln Riley to call the game differently. I, I touched on this yesterday. I think he might try to slow himself down 
and I don't really see the benefit of that. I, yeah, it'll keep LSU's offense off the field, but it'll get you out of your own rhythm. It'll get you from away from doing the things that have made you successful during his three years as the head coach at Norman. I, I'm going with Coach O, and I'm going with LSU by double digits. I think they cover the spread, but uh, it was the worst possible matchup probably for Oklahoma. Yeah, I think they're the odd team out in the college football playoff. They deserve to be there, obviously, but the other three are just – if we could play a three-way game yeah. to determine the national champion, I don't even know the logistics of how you would yeah. do that, but I think LSU, Clemson, Ohio State would be fantastic because they're all really, really good, uh, which goes to Clemson and Ohio State on the other side of the bracket, both 13-0, and 0, the number two and number three teams, an 8 o'clock kick on ESPN – Saturday, the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, and Clemson minus two is the current line on that. Yeah, it, it, you couldn't really blame Ryan Day and the Buckeyes for for you know campaigning to be number one, because as you said, no, big difference between one and two, big difference because they knew number two would get Clemson, whoever whoever wasn't the top ranked team. This could be one of those games for the ages. I, I I could see I could see an overtime game like we had a couple of years ago out in the Rose Bowl. I want to say Clemson simply because they've been on that stage, and I think they have so much left in the tank because they haven't really been challenged all season. Ohio State's had some battles; they've played some quality opponents. It, it, it's going to depend on how. At how well, and, and Andrea Adelson of ESPN touched on this, how well the offensive line not only keeps Ohio State's defense, specifically Chase Young, off Trevor Lawrence, but their ability to hit short passes. Look, you nullify a pass rush by getting the ball out of your hands. Ball out of your hands. We're going to see a lot of slants, a lot of swing passes, things that really just take Chase Young out of the game. And if Clemson is successful in that, I, I think they can win comfortably. I, I'm, I, I truly do. I think they've got enough defense to keep Justin Fields in check, to keep J.K. Dobbins in check. I'm not saying shut him down, but keep him in check. Get just enough stops. What's the thing I always say? You don't have to have a great defense. You don't even have to have a really good defense, just good enough. And I think Clemson, in this instance, will be just good enough. I think the Tigers have the advantage at quarterback with Trevor Lawrence, who for the last seven weeks, as good as any quarterback in the country, Joe Burrow included. Yeah, the only college football playoff quarterback not invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony, now, too, isn't, and, and oddly we, enough. We discussed that yesterday. I, I, We will never again, I'm going to say this, we will never again see four quarterbacks like this in this playoff. We'll never again. It, 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 it won't happen, at least in the near future. We'll never again see it. And, and go beyond that. Look at the running back position for at least two of these teams, this game specifically, Etienne and Dobbins. <sighs> I mean, either of those guys could have been in that Heisman conversation. Well, it's, it's incredible how all this has played out. And, and we touched on it about coming into this year, and you and I were discussing this months ago, there was a mile-wide gap between Alabama, Clemson, and everybody else. We knew Alabama and Clemson, and everybody else, well, whatever happens, it's going to be Alabama-Clemson round four or whatever. Didn't play out like that. Yeah, Clemson got in. Alabama didn't make it, and turned out there are a lot of other teams out there who have elevated themselves to be playoff worthy. And I'm not just talking about LSU. I'm not just talking about Ohio State. For up until the 11th hour, we had, we had Baylor in the conversation. 
Baylor, not that far removed from what, a one-win season? Not that far removed from all the horrific things that took place in Waco. They were in, up until the last game against Oklahoma, they were in the conversation. You have Minnesota, for goodness sakes, in the conversation for a playoff spot. It was a fantastic year. Utah, Utah and Oregon in the conversation. College football is healthy, man. It's much it, the health of college football is is much greater than we were giving it credit for back in August, and it, it's delightful to see. And I think what what's going to come out of this game, and again, at least at least the nightcap, Ohio State Clemson. <laughs> I think it's going to be a special game. Now, are we prisoners of the moment? Are we hyping up something that falls flat? Could happen. Could happen. It's happened in the past. But having watched both these teams extensively throughout the year, I, I think it's going to be pretty pretty darn watchable. That's a good segment, Darren. We should do more of those. We'll revisit on Monday to see how stupid I am. <laughs> I like that. All right. It's 17-6 to six at the Military Bowl. 15 seconds left in the first half. Tar Heels have the football, and they're driving. They are on the tw Temple 29-yard line. It's first and 10. Again, 15 seconds remaining in the first half. Halftime, Brent Wilkerson New from Sports Illustrated's Maven Tarhill. He's going to join us, fill us in on everything happened in the first half. Look ahead to the second half. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. If my low and away curve that barely paints the black so frequently that nobody can hit it, you're going to tell me I got to throw change-ups, fastballs, and sliders all the time? Oh, it's too difficult to hit TTG's <laughs> low and away curveball. Wah, 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 wah. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Tar Heels going to the locker room, 20 to 6. It's halftime. At the Military Bowl in Annapolis, Maryland, Heels kicked a field goal. His time expired. 39-yarder. 36-yarder, I stand corrected. We're going to get Brent Wilkerson new on the horn shortly. Sports Illustrated's Tar Heel Maven Channel. Find out what UNC is doing right to take this lead at the Military Bowl. Wake Forest only a couple hours away from kickoff. The Pinstripe Bowl in New York City. That's a 320. 3.20 start time, Michigan State, three and a half point favorites. I, I is Mac Brown positioning himself for one of the great second halves, second acts rather, in sports? I mean, I'll, I'll make the argument right now that Tiger Woods, what he's doing, is the greatest second act in the history of sports. I'll, I will make that contention because he was done. And he'll never be able to match part one, but the sequel's pretty darn good. Especially watching how he's reinvented himself in these team competitions. President's Cup was captivating theater. And to see how he how he handles himself, not, not only with crowds and things like that, he's way more affable, but he's also more affable with his own fellow golfers, his own touring pros, everybody. I guess you lose your hair, you lose a little ego. You look at life a bit differently. Well, and when you hit a, hit a tree and a bunch of naked bodies fall out and your wife's whacking your back window with a golf club in the middle of the night, that'll, that'll give you some perspective. 
But is Mac Brown, is he is he also about to put together, and, and again, it's not apples to apples, but is he putting together a great second act? I'm, I'm trying to think of something comparable. Maybe Dick Vermeil, what Dick Vermeil did when he was coaching. He had that nice run in the NFL, took the Eagles to the Super Bowl back in the early 80s. He retired, went to television. Then he comes back, and he, he goes and wins the Super Bowl with the Rams. Is that comparable? Because I, I can't think of another. I'm sure there have been more. But for Mac, if they win this game, he'll finish 7-6 and six in his first year back. Book ended with victories, that season opening win against South Carolina, and then concluding with a bowl victory. And considering where the program was, the shape it was in after Larry Fedora was fired, I think that speaks volumes. Brent Wilkerson, new of SI's Maven Channel, joins us now from Annapolis. Brent, happy holidays. Happy holidays from the uh, the press box here at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. Uh, Brent, it's a fantastic place. I've been to dozens of bowl games. It's my favorite. What's your biggest takeaway from Annapolis so far? Uh, it's really cool. It's uh, it's just a neat kind of stadium to walk into and take in the history. They've got all of the, uh, the battles of uh, the Navy and Marine Corps kind of listed off the walls of the stadium. Um, it's a neat little town. I've, I've really enjoyed my week up here. Stayed in D.C. on Wednesday night because uh, that's where the teams stay. And then uh, made the trip on up here yesterday. So it, it's been a really great trip. Brent Tar Heels, 20 to 6 lead at the half. What's UNC doing right? Uh, UNC picked up kind of where they left off in the regular season against Mercer and NC State. Offense is uh, really hubbing along. They're spreading the ball around to all the receivers. Running games found a little bit of traction, and something that I, I kind of thought might be the case today with Sam Howell getting a little more opportunity in the run game has uh, has certainly come true. He's had his two longest runs of the season and goes into halftime as Carolina's leading rusher with three carries for 53 yards. So um, that's career high for him for sure. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think you kind of see how just how dangerous this offense can be when they add that element that they've been missing this year and. They've been shy to run him, uh, of course, because of the injuries. They don't really have anyone behind them. But with this being the last game of the season, they, uh, they've kind of opened it up a little bit. And you, you see what really this can be uh, as he's, he's uh, 15 for 21 for 181 yards, two touchdowns, um, close to having another over there. But Daz Newsom could get a foot down. So um, overall, just a, a great performance so far by Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a nearly perfect offensive effort so far. I'm looking at third down efficiency, six of eight. That'll help you get 20 first-half points. But it, it's kind of smoke and mirrors, I think, with regards to Temple, Brent. I see they're four of nine on third down, but they're one of one on fourth down, so five of ten when it comes to extending drives, yet they've only got six points, a touchdown that was followed by a blocked PAT. How, how does Temple not have more than six points at it being so efficient? I mean, 50% is pretty solid. Yeah, the, uh, well, they've, they've made a couple of bad decisions to kick uh, really long field goals, which I'm not sure uh, they're going to be doing here in the second half. But Carolina's kind of locked in when they've gotten down close to the goal line, um, except for uh, that one long play to Jaden Blue. It was a 60-yard uh, catch and run that set up a, a short touchdown run for them. You know, they really haven't got much of an opportunity to get down there and score. Um, so Carolina's defense uh, started out a little shaky. They're having trouble tackling on the opening drive, but then they kind of flip things around when they they uh, picked up a, a trick play and and didn't uh, didn't bite on it. And Temple wasn't able to complete a uh, screen pass, so they had a uh, receiver trying to throw a pass downfield. So um, 
really that kind of changed the momentum of that first drive, and Carolina's just been rolling since. Can you help us understand the change in tone around this program starting slightly before that victory over South Carolina to start this season to now? What what will be the narrative going forward if the Tar Heels hold on and win? Yeah, um, I, I've been kind of thinking about that this week, and if this continues going the way it's going and Sam Howell keeps playing the way that game, um, you know, finishes up with something like 350 yards and four touchdowns, Oh man, just think about the uh, the expectations going into next season. They're gonna they're gonna certainly be a top twenty five team going into next season. But really, I mean, I think Mac Brown went out and he hired good coordinators. He found a fun offense in uh, Phil Longo, who runs this hybrid air raid system that he kind of devised on his own with some power run elements. Uh, kids want to play that way these days, and uh, Jay Bateman does some really fun things with the defense that allows uh, athletes to, to work in space and gets them mismatches. So um, I think it, it's something that kids really want to be a part of. And, you know, Mac Brown is just, he's Mac Brown, he's a Hall of Famer. He's won a national championship. And uh, he, I, he, I think one of the really most important things, and it's something I, I want to look into a little more in the offseason, is his role as Vince Young's coach. I think that has really led to a lot for him. Um, on the recruiting trail, I mean, even more so than his natural, he's got a great personality for that kind of thing. So um, he's really changed the culture top to bottom within the program. There's just a, a lot of positivity and guys talk about how much they like being at a facility and how much they just kind of like being around each other now. So I think, you know, as much as any, uh, you know, strategic or scheme stuff, I, I think the culture change has been really the biggest part. Brent's got a live blog open thread going at si.com slash college slash UNC. You can follow him on Twitter at Brent Heels Maven. Brent, we'll let you get back for the second half. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it, man. Anytime. All righty. Thank you. It's Brent Wilkerson. New, again, Tar Heels leading 20 to 6 at the Military Bowl. And uh, 15 of 21 passing, 181 yards, two touchdowns. That's a pretty darn good first half for Sam Howell. Pretty darn good first half. And, hey, by the way, he's got three carries for 53 yards. So he's he's an offensive juggernaut up, up near the nation's capital. He's getting it done. And Temple's a pretty good program. Uh, look, I'm a fan of the AAC. I'm a big fan of the AAC. They call themselves P6, and I'm down with it. Let's make them power six. To take a 20-6 to six lead at halftime in a season in which there was so much uncertainty how will this roster mold into the image of what Mac Brown wants to wants to make? How will Mac Brown do after being away from the game for so long? What can be reasonably expected? Pulling off a bowl game at this juncture, at this point in Mac Brown 2.0 at Chapel Hill, that's big time. Again, 20 to 6 at the half. We'll continue to follow that and follow the other bowl games throughout the best time of the year. And we want to get your phone calls. one 800 849 2761. It's a free for all Friday on the David Glenn Show. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop. After this, yeah, maybe join you on the radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Closing out hour number two of the David Glenn Show on Friday. Got a little Ed O, got a little Dabo coming up next hour. And fashion talk with Darren. 
We're having a little uh, little powwow about the skinny tie versus the the full Windsor knot. Yeah, you were talking about Adam Schefter earlier. He does a full Windsor, if I'm not mistaken. He does like a triple Windsor. I, I think he has Merrill two times. Hodge. Merrill Hodge. His is not, not as big as my head. Yeah, he's not on TV as much anymore, but man. It was a thick knot in his tie. God bless Charles Woodson and the Ascot. Yeah, bringing back the Ascot. Like I that. wish I could rock the Ascot. Would that be acceptable? I might do it. You look like you just came from a Scotch ad. <laughs> Ahoy, Malloy. <laughs> That's the greatest line in Caddyshack. The most quotable movie in movie history. And the most quotable line. Well, that and I like you, Betty. Shoot, Timmy. It's in the hole. Overrated, man. We hear it too no, much. I'm just, no, but I'm saying no, that's it's a an very old, quotable it's Cinderella story. Yeah, it's when you hear a lot. I once had a debate on my old show about what was the better, uh, what was the better movie? It was uh, Caddyshack or the, uh, Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore, very quotable. You know one I just recently rewatched for the first time in a long time. Gone with the wind. Dodgeball, incredibly quotable. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Yeah. If you can. F and A, Cotton. F and A. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> it's one of the great ones. More quotable movies on the other side. Dabo Sweeney, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Yeah, How man, are you, man? Good to see you. It's great to How see you. you? I saw that you took your family to Italy. It was unbelievable to go to Rome and to stand at the Coliseum that was built in 80, 80. <laughs> the original Death Valley, you know, literally. This is the David Glenn Show.